Hey, good morning, everyone. It's awesome to see you. We have a, a treat today. I, I uh, went to India about a month ago, month and a half now, or something like that, and uh, met a guy on the plane, actually in the airport, named David, and the poor guy had to put up with me for 12 days. <laughs> we flew next to each other. We roomed together. And we flew back next to each other and did all kinds of ministry in the meantime. Um, had an amazing trip. Um, he's an awesome guy. And uh, he and his wife, Kate, are here, along with their friend, Sarah. And um, I just want to invite David up. Would you come on up, David? Would you welcome? Let's give a, a warm faith chapel welcome to our guest, David. Oh, it's wonderful to be with you. My name is David, and uh, I'm popping. It's hot. My microphone's popping. Well, let's see if it sorts itself out. Oh, I'll just go with the handheld. It's okay. Plan B. Here we go. Oh, it's awesome to be here. And um, yeah, your pastor is the real deal. He, pastor Jim. Oh, man. Let's give a round of applause for Pastor Jim. Come on, we can do better than that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How many of you know when you spend 12 straight days with somebody, you, you figure out who they really are? And with this guy, what you see is what you get. If Who he is on the stage is who he is in the hotel room, and he's just full of love and just steady. How many know... And a, these days in our times, it's wonderful to have a leader who's steady in their emotions and their walk with God. And so we just honor you, Jim, and just love you. Thank you for who you are. Hey, bless me. So um, it's, it's great to be here, and I, I'm so excited. If you're wondering, who is this guy with the hipster man bun and the beard? Don't let it fool you. I'm just trying to keep up with the times. Actually, the reality is that my wife really likes this look. So I, I keep it. It's like in my best interest to, to have this going on. It, it blesses her. So, yeah. And she's so beautiful. I got to, like, try to keep up, you know. I don't, don't want to say, who's this ogre on the side? So <laughs> got to keep up with the beauty over here. So, yeah, my main priorities in life are pleasing Jesus and, and my wife. It's kind of like, got to keep the priorities straight, right? Right? So, oh, I'm so excited. I, I just believe God is doing big things in this hour and especially in this church. I came this morning and I stumbled into the prayer room. I was looking for your pastor and I, I went in the prayer room. Man, that prayer was hot. People were, were going for it. The spirit was moving and they were pressing in and oh my gosh. Uh, in every historical revival, it always starts with what Charles Finney called was a spirit of prayer. A spirit, it was, it's that prayer begins to consume the believers. And what we see is that is the precursor to something amazing. That is actually something amazing, that people would press in in prayer. You'll see what I mean. Keep going, keep going. You're on to something. You're on to something. So turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. Genesis chapter 13. So, I don't know about you, but 
I have some habits that uh, I've been developing, some good, some bad, and some the jury's out on. For instance, uh, a good habit I have is I, I like to work out. That's a hobby my, my wife and I have. A bad habit I have these days is actually my posture. I, I've discovered recently I have terrible, well, I actually kind of knew I had terrible posture, but now I'm realizing that's bad. I need to work on this because I have some injuries and some neck injuries resulting from bad posture. But it's a habit. It's a habit of, this is my, want to see my posture? It's like this. There you go. Now you're seeing all the embarrassing stuff up front. Here it is. My bad posture is like that my shoulders are forward. And, you know, if you sit at a desk and work a desk job or a student, you're prone to this kind of thing. And it's a habit. Uh, and then a habit that I, the jury's out on is my coffee habit. Now, I like coffee. It tastes amazing. And I'm, de- I'm defending this habit as a good one. Sometimes my wallet and my hydration levels argue with me about whether it's a good habit, but we're keeping it for now. Anyone else keeping the coffee habit with me? Uh, Okay, few. I don't feel as condemned as I did. This is great. But we have habits, right? We all have habits, good and bad. And the reason, psychology tells us the reason that we develop these kinds of habits or really patterns of behavior is because they reward us. Turn to your neighbor and say, we love rewards. Everybody loves, we love rewards. We love being rewarded for things. And a habit starts when you do something and then you receive the benefits or the rewards you were hoping for when you did that behavior. So I like, I drank coffee and I felt energized afterwards and I liked that energy. So I keep drinking the coffee. Yes? Now they tell me I should drink water, but I have to go to the bathroom after I drink water. So I, I stopped drinking the water. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they say if you actually drink enough water, you feel energized too. But yeah, that's it. <laughs> we are going somewhere with this, by the way. So we have these habits, but I want to I show you something. I, I, my thesis this morning is that if we develop habits of that allow us to experience the Lord's goodness, those will be powerful and transformative. It's, God is the ultimate source of goodness. Hebrews 11 says he's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So God's goodness in, towards you and in your life is meant to develop habits of holiness that permeate the culture. That means that Holiness and godly living isn't a byproduct of your sweat, but of experiencing, tasting, and seeing the goodness of the Lord. Turn with me. Did you get to Genesis 13? Are you there? Oh, excellent. Okay, good. Genesis 13, and uh, let me set this up. So this is the classic story of Abraham and uh, Lot. Now, Abraham, he's called the father of faith. Uh, I love him because he's not perfect. He makes some mistakes, which is encouraging to me. Um, but Abraham's the father of faith. And in Genesis 13, he's recently come out of Egypt. He had to go to Egypt for a fam- because they had a famine in the land. And Abraham, if you don't know, he's, he's a businessman by trade. And his business is uh, shepherding and, and animals. He's kind of like an animal caretaker vendor. So he raised sheep and possibly goats and cattle. And in that day, in their, their economy because they were a farming economy, 
the, the amount of animals you had indicated the amount of wealth you had. That was the primary business that, that they were involved with. And so he's a businessman for all intents and purposes. And because he experienced a famine in the land or the, the economy took a recession, a downturn, he had to go to Egypt. And because his wife was smoking hot and he was a bit of a coward, he, told, he said, let's, let's do this. Why don't we tell Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, that you're my sister so that he doesn't kill me and take you? Wow, Abraham, father of faith, real defender of his family. <laughs> so he does this, and, and it, as it turns out, God is so good to Abraham that he, like, saves Sarah from ending up with Pharaoh. Pharaoh, they experience some sickness and realize, whoa, this guy's not his sister. This is Abraham's wife. And he gives, a, gives Sarah back to Abraham and says, why did you lie to me? And oh, by the way, we're going to give you treasure and riches. And it says he comes out of Egypt, out of making all those mistakes, wealthier. Crazy. I mean, talk about the goodness and mercy of God in Abraham's life. That even when this guy does cowardly things, God comes through for him. Turn to your neighbor and say, God's coming through for you. God's coming through for you. But it's, it's interesting because here they are. And now Lot... Lot is Abraham's nephew. You guys know this? Lot is Abraham's nephew in the story. And they're getting so wealthy, and by wealth they mean the number of livestock they have and the number of servants and, and they have working the livestock that they don't have any more space for both of their businesses to operate side by side. So the servants and the, the work, their employees are getting in fights over who gets to graze their animals or get their animals drinks in what bodies of water and land. And they're like, Abraham's like, yo, we can't be fighting like this anymore. This isn't good. Like, it's messing up our witness in the neighborhood. You know, our employees are going at it because there's too much competition over the market. So he says to Lot, okay, why don't you, you know, look around and decide where you want to relocate your business. And I'm putting this all in modern day terms, if, you know, by the way. This isn't, I'm not the King James guy, so uh, just, just so you know. So he, he says this to Lot, and Lot looks around, and, and then we're going to pick this up. Let's go to Genesis 13. We'll start in verse 10. Verse 10. Lot lifts up his eyes and saw that the valley of the Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zor. Let's skip down to verse 12. Abraham settled in Canaan in the land while Lot settled in the cities of the valley. So Abraham's in a mountain, like a hilly area, and Lot moves down to the valley of the Jordan where it comes into what is now the Dead Sea. It wasn't dead at that time, though. So Lot moves into the cities of the valleys. He moved and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked exceedingly and sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abraham after Lot had separated from him, now lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land which you see, I will give it to you and your descendants forever. Come on, that's a good word. If you got that prophetic word today, you'd be like hooting and hollering and like writing it on your living room wall and claiming it. And, right? Sorry, I got a little excited. But this is the word of the Lord Abraham. This is, he, he's excited about This is a good word. I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can number the dust of the earth, your descendants can be, 
can be also be numbered. Arise and walk about the land through it, its length and breadth, for I will give it to you. Whoa. Whoa. It's time for us as the people of God to respond to God's goodness instead of looking to find goodness in the worldly system. Lot did his market research and moved to a place that was having an economic boom. They were having like a tech boom, you know, Silicon Valley, tech boom, right? Housing market boom. But we all know that every economic boom has a bubble. And, and it, they'll have a recession. So Lot, he doesn't consult the Lord. He just looks around and says, oh, this city's got job growth. This city's got market growth. This city is going to be great for my business. I'm moving there. And he had permission to do that. The problem is that he grew up with Abraham, who's modeled something else, which is his whole, Abraham's whole lifestyle is, I'm responding to the goodness of God, and I'm looking to God as my ultimate source of goodness, and I'm going to do as I see him, and as, as he initiates the goodness of God in my life, I'm going to respond to it. I'm going to obey it. Do you see this? So while Lot goes where the jobs are and where the market's good, Abraham looks to God and receives a prophetic promise. And some of us, we, 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 get, we fall prey to this thing of we look at the market. We look at the Dow Jones. We look at, you know, what our employer's doing or all these external things. And we, we respond to them rather than respond, looking to God and responding to him. And the reason is because it's so easy to get, our, get confused about where the reward is coming from. Where is the goodness coming from? And if you look for goodness in any source other than God, you'll be grossly disappointed. Other sources of goodness besides God will always overpromise and underdeliver. But they look good. And everyone around us, this is how they think. This is how the, if you listen to the news, this is, this is the story telling you what the economy is doing, telling you what the government's doing, telling you what all these external things. Oh, no, they restructured the taxes. That's going to mess me up forever. Oh, no, right? We do this stuff all the time. We've got a God whose kingdom is ever increasing. Of the increase of his government and kingdom, there's no end. He never is in a recession. And he wants to be in a covenant, a, a love, binding love relationship with you. You got the hookup. That's good. So we got to respond. Respond to the goodness of God. He's initiating goodness towards you. Lot doesn't do that. Lot responds to the goodness that he thinks he sees in society around him and goes after it. You know, truly fulfilling life starts when we respond to God's goodness. Check this out. Turn with me to Colossians. Keep your finger in Genesis, but turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12. I love this little section, 12 through 14. It just encapsulates the gospel so well. All right. I'm going to read this in the Passion Translation because it's my new jam. Uh, but let's check this out. Colossians chapter 1, verse 12 says, Your hearts can soar with joyful gratitude when you think of how God made you, say you, yeah. say me, yeah. 
worthy to receive the glorious inheritance freely given to us by living in the light. He has rescued us completely from the tyrannical rule of darkness and translated us, or another word in the Greek is transported or conveyed us, shipped you into the kingdom realm of his beloved son. For in the son, all our sins are canceled. We have the release of redemption through his very blood. And it's the gospel message, the message that Jesus Christ has cleansed you of all of your sin and, and rescued you from a demonic, worldly system where Satan is the ruler. He's rescued you from that, and he's cleansed you from that, and now you're free to have a love relationship where the goodness of God is flowing through you. And it's all encapsulated in one message called the gospel. All encapsulated in one message called the gospel, which really means the good news. Guys, the gospel, Paul wasn't messing around when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power. That message, that simple message is the power, the nuclear power of God for the salvation of all mankind. If you want to see a release of the power of God that you're experiencing in your prayer meeting, in your worship service, uh, in this, this revival atmosphere, if you want to see it released in other people's lives, it's that one simple message. Pull the pin, toss it in. It will change people's lives. Because it unveils, it unveils and dismantles this demonic system where we look for goodness in other sources and shows you it's just goodness is right here, Jesus Christ. Boom. And it hits people's spirit. The gospel is not just your doorway into the kingdom. It's the source code. It's the wellspring. It's the DNA strand of the kingdom that when it's planted in somebody, it grows into the full thing. One message, guys. Simple message. We don't graduate from that. It's simple. And when you speak it, when you say it, when you live it, it's powerful. Because it's the goodness of God for the salvation of mankind. So looking for goodness in other sources leads to a world of hurt. So a lot... (laughs) Lot, oh, wow. He's the extra grace required guy, Lot. He goes down to Sodom and Gomorrah, and uh, y'all know Sodom and Gomorrah, he's is synonymous with, like, sulfur and brimstone and fire, right? We know that God eventually destroys Sodom and Gomorrah. It doesn't happen yet. They have a little hiccup before that that's almost equally as bad. So Sodom and Gomorrah are city kingdoms. They decide that they're not going to pay their rent or their tribute to the king that was ruling over them. They're like, their own rulers are like, we're going independent. We're not paying out the stockholders. We're just keeping it for ourselves. And those kings come and make war against Sodom and Gomorrah. Lot's living there, remember. And then they win. They conquer the cities, and they take Lot, his family, and all of his possessions prisoner. That's not, that's not very good for your marketing plan, right? If, you, if your whole, whole business gets taken and your family, you know, you're, you're in trouble. So here's Lot. He's a prisoner of war. And guess who has to go save him? Uncle Abraham. Uncle Abraham suits up his 318 servants against like four or five armies. Goes by night and rescues everything from these two kingdoms all the possessions, and all the people, including Lot and his family. That's crazy. So 
just, just so you know, remember all the prosperity Simon and Gomorrah had? Picture that, gone. And Abraham's in the hill country, relying on God, and he goes and conquers and overtakes all of it. That's, that's crazy to me. That's crazy to me. You know, it's important, it's important that after we've responded to the God's goodness, we continue to rely on God's goodness. We continue. Because when Abraham gets all the spoils from all these kingdoms, guess what he does? He doesn't keep it. He says, no, God made me a promise that he was going to make me wealthy and that I was going to inherit all this land, and I'm not going to let any Joe Schmo say that they made me. I'm only going to let God say that he made me who I am. And so he gives everything back except for a tithe that he gives to Melchizedek, which is another sermon for another time. (laughs) Abraham doesn't keep any of it. He gives it all back because he relies on God. Guys, we got to rely on the goodness of God. So many times we start out in the goodness, we respond to the gospel, we sense the goodness of God, but it's important to stay there, founded, rooted, grounded in the goodness of God, flowing into our lives. This Christian life is, can I walk down? Is this all lighting okay down here? Am I going to mess up stuff? <laughs> I, so many times we preach a gospel that God is good and he wants to rescue you, but then when we get into the Christian life, we get into sometimes into this mixed up thing, and I don't think that's going on here, but I'm going to say it where we think we got to perform for God, where we somehow got to produce our own goodness to impress God. That's not true. The pattern stays the same. You continually receive and intake and rely on the goodness of God as you go through the Christian life, and as you do, it transforms you. That's why worship in, in church, in God's presence, is so key because it recalibrates your heart and your mind towards his goodness, to the atmosphere of heaven that communicates the goodness and the culture of, God, of who he, God is and reminds you, reminds your psychology, oh, God is good. He's the ultimate source of goodness in my life. And it creates natural habits of holiness as you respond. His goodness is flowing into your life. His spirit's filling you. And you respond and say, oh, I'm going to serve the Lord. That's how it works. If you are deciding or fall under the prey to the lie that you need to produce your own goodness to show that you are worth it to God or that you're trying to live it to some standard of anointing or ministry or holiness. I don't know what it is for you. But that is the same as elevating yourself to God's status because if God's not the only source of goodness in your life, whatever else you erect instead will be your idol, will be your God. It's idolatry. And when we make ourselves our source of goodness, our own thinking, our own abilities, our own talents, our careers, we've elevated ourselves above God. We, we take trust right out of it. We say, I trust myself. And then you wonder why you're on anxiety medication. <laughs> Not that you know, if you're on that, no, no condemnation. You know, it's, it's fine. But, but seriously, the source of anxiety is looking to something else for goodness, trusting in something else besides the one who's truly trustworthy. So we got to keep relying on God's goodness. It's so easy, guys. It's so easy. Abraham rescues all these guys. God empowers Abraham to rescue all these guys. And the next chapter, he turns to the Lord and he says, and the Lord says, Abraham, I'm your shield 
and your reward will be very great. That's what happens. He says, I don't want your treasure. He turns and looks to the Lord, relies on God's goodness, and God responds and says, I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. And that's when Abraham receives the promise of a son. I'm going to give you a son. I'm going to give you a son. Powerful, powerful. God will honor. God's into making the desires of your heart come to pass. But he's not, it's not through this whole go and make it yourself, make it happen for yourself stuff. I think we get stuck in the Frank Sinatra rhetoric here in America. I did it my way. We do. We, like, like you hear this stuff, it permeates all the culture of it. It's the self-made man, and I did it my way. And, you know, we have a president who's, you know, a lot of things, but he's, he, he claims that he's, you know, made his fortune through his own, you know, business stuff. And we idolize the kind of person, man or woman, who, you know, grew their, their status through the work of work their hands in the sweat of their brow. It's humanistic. Abraham doesn't do that. He turns to the Lord and, and, and waits for God to pour out his goodness. And God says, that desire in your heart for a son, I'm going to make good on it. I'm going to make good on it. Lot, on the other hand, after getting enslaved, taken over, who knows what happened while he was in prison with those armies, he goes back to Sodom. Can we talk about the madness of going back to Sodom? Talk about a bad habit. Talk about a destructive pattern, going back to the place where you got kidnapped. What? What? Turn to your neighbor and say, destructive patterns. Destructive patterns. Jeez. Gets miraculously rescued by his uncle. You'd think he would get the message that his uncle's on to something, Right? You'd think they would meet for, like, Thanksgiving dinner, and then it would kind of, like, realize, whoa, my uncle's blessed, and he never got kidnapped. <laughs> nope. Goes right back to Sodom. Madness. But he's caught in a destructive pattern, and the pattern gets reinforced because he's looking for goodness in places other than God. Relying on goodness in places, responding to goodness in places other than God. I don't know who this is for, but, you know, it's as simple as, like, if you're desiring to be in a romantic relationship, which is totally godly, and you, you find that man or that woman that really excites you and, and you're attracted to them, they're attracted to you, and you jump into this relationship, and it's wonderful. It's like a honeymoon period. But then you find out that he's mean, and he lashes out with his words when he doesn't get his way, and he hits you when he's really angry. And your friends and your family are scared. They're like, you need to get out of that. But you remember the good times. You think, if I hold on long enough and I stick with him, he'll turn around. He'll stop. And then he apologizes, and you have another honeymoon period. But just wait two more months, and it happens again. And then he promises he'll never do it again, and it happens again. We all call this an abusive relationship. But folks, if you're in one of those, it's so hard to get out because you experienced a high of romance with that person and you saw who they could be and you're just believing and trusting that they'll come back around all the while you're getting more and more enslaved, more and more taken. Because you're looking, the real eye is you're, you're believing that there's something good about them and you're turning to that person to receive goodness in your life instead of turning to God and trusting him to receive that he'll provide you a loving man or a loving woman to be in a relationship with who won't hurt you like that. 
that's a destructive pattern. Some of us are addicted to work. We believe if we work 80 hours, it will produce the lifestyle that God promised us. But at what cost to your family, to your health? At what cost? Will you trust the, the work of your hands and your own sweat and effort above God who's good to you and working for you and already sent his son to die for you? At what cost? We all fall prey to these, these destructive thought patterns that reward us initially. Initially, the bonus check comes in. The commission comes in, looks good, get the company car. But then, you know, it doesn't translate into love in your, your kid's heart. At what cost? It doesn't translate into your relationships. I don't know what it is for you, but I'm challenged. I'm challenged this morning. I want to rely fully on God's goodness towards me rather than anything else. Not anything else. Check this out. Uh, turn with me to Second Peter Chapter 2, verse 19. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Well, actually, 2 Peter chapter 2, let's start in verse, verse 6. 2 Peter kind, of, Peter kind of summed, or the author of 2 Peter sort of sums up what's going on with Lot. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. I hear pages turning, so I'm going to wait. Speaking of God here, it says, verse 6 in the Passion Translation, Don't forget that he reduced to ashes the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, condemning them to ruin and destruction. God appointed them to be examples for what's coming to the ungodly. Yet he rescued a righteous man. So it says that Lot was a righteous man. It's possible that you're caught in one of these patterns. And you're still saved. God still loves you. But let's see what it says. A righteous man, Lot, suffering the indignity of unbridled lusts of lawlessness, for the righteous Lot lived among them day after day, distressed in his righteous soul by the rebellious deeds he saw and heard. Distressed in his righteous soul. Wow. Is it possible that the distress, the fear, the torment, that you live with, that you show up to Sunday with, get delivered with from, and then it comes right back on you is because you've chosen to enter into a destructive pattern that's distressing and disturbing your soul. It's possible. God wants you to be just as free on Thursday afternoon as you got on Sunday morning, right? Where the freedom is ever increasing, not something that wears off and that you got to get re-delivered from. God wants great things for you. Check it out. And later down in the, ver- in the chapter, it's verse 19, it says, it's speaking of, of people who are caught in this destructive pattern and then eventually turn from the Lord. It says, they promise, this is 19, they promise others freedom, yet they themselves are slaves to corruption. For people are slaves to whatever overcomes them. Those who escape the corrupting forces of the world system through the experience of knowing about our Lord and Savior, Jesus, the Messiah, then go back into entanglement with them and are defeated by them, become worse off than they were to start with. Whoa! Yikes! That's a tough one. It's right there. But we don't have to live like that. You know, I think sometimes when, I talk, when we talk about slavery or bondage or destructive patterns, we get really scared. Like, what if that's me? What if I'm stuck? But you guys need to know, like, getting free is as simple as recognizing the true source of goodness. 
that any sinful pattern you're, you're stuck in is as easily as broken as recognizing God wants to be unconditionally good to me. And if I turn my focus to God's goodness, this all will break right off my life. Because that's what the gospel does. The gospel snaps our attention back to realize God is good because he sent his only son, Jesus, already. God in Jesus already paid the ultimate sacrifice for me to be loved, cared for, and experience his goodness and to be in a covenant relationship with him. Already, up front, gave you everything. Didn't promise and under-deliver. Already promised and already delivered for you. It's the gospel message. It snaps you back. And you can be free today of, of any destructive pattern that you're stuck in. You can. Just that easily. Not through years of counseling. This is great news, guys. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So Locke, we know Locke goes back. He goes back. And uh, this time, things get so bad. And by the way, Scripture says that the Sodom and Gomorrah had a reputation for all this evil before he went there. If you look in chapter 13, it wasn't like he got there and then things took a turn for the worse, like the neighborhood got bad. No, it's already bad, and he moved there. So he goes back, and uh, <clears throat> it's interesting. God appears to Abraham after multiple times. God, Abraham has this relationship where he keeps having these encounters with God. I don't know about you, but I'm hungry for more encounters with God. And he has this encounter with God where God says to him, in a year's time, that son I promised you, it's coming. One year, you'll have it when I visit you next year. I'm like, man, God, visit my house. <laughs> Stop over for pizza at my house, God. That's what I want. So Abraham, God stops over at Abraham's house for dinner. He says, next year this time, you're going to have a kid, Isaac, the son of promise. And then he gets up after the meal, and he starts heading off. And he turns to the angels, and Abraham says, where are you going? And he turns to the angels and says, should we keep anything a secret from Abraham? In other words, God didn't keep secrets from Abraham. God fully disclosed his will, his desires, his plans to Abraham. I, don't want, I want to have full disclosure with the Lord where he can just trust me and share things with me. And so God says to Abraham, yeah, we're going to Sodom and Gomorrah and we're going to destroy it because it's, it's just exceedingly evil. No hope there. Guess what Abraham does? He starts having a plea bargain with God. He starts a negotiation. You know, he's a good Jewish businessman, remember? And so he starts this negotiation where he's like, well, God, if there's this many righteous people in the city, will you spare it? And God's like, well, I guess so. And then he, he plea bargains him down to a lower and lower number of righteous people in the city needed to spare those people. I love that. And you got to know, God's plan was always to kind of tease this out of Abraham. Like, come on, come on, bargain with me. Come on. You know, plead for the mercy of these people, and I'll listen to you. God didn't, God didn't, like, he wasn't heartless and wanting to destroy them. He wanted Abraham to intercede. Because after you respond to God's goodness and you're relying on God's goodness, God wants to use you to release his goodness to society. God wants to release his goodness through you. The plan isn't just to rescue you or or break you free, the plan is to make you a rescuer, one who gets about the rescuing business of the gospel of Jesus Christ to release the atmosphere of heaven to the neighborhood around you. And Abraham models this so well. He gets it. It's not just about goodness in my life. It's not just about the promise of the son. God promised Abraham that he'd be a blessing to the whole world, and he's getting about it. I'm going to be a blessing. I'm going to try and see if I can get this, keep this city from being destroyed. And it's because Abraham plea bargains with God that angels are sent to Sodom and Gomorrah and they rescue Lot a second time. 
a second time. Turn to your neighbor and say, a second time. A second time. God, God is so good. He keep coming for you. Even when you're covered with the spirit of stupid, he'll rescue you a second time. <laughs> this time, he doesn't even send angel, Abraham. He takes angels and sends them there. But not before, not before some of Lot's, some of people in Lot's family get sexually abused violently. And not before they barely, and they barely escape with their lives from Sodom and Gomorrah. And it just, this just adds a cherry on top to the whole point. Lot's wife doesn't run, just run. She turns and looks back like she still wants to be there. She's still looking to that place as a source for goodness other than God. And because of it, she's turned to a pillar of Saul, which is weird, and I can't explain that other than it's NACL. But I don't know about you, but how, how much more dramatic of an example than that do you need to know that it's only God. He's the only source of goodness, true source of goodness in our life. And James says that from him, he's a good father, and from him, comes every good and perfect gift, comes from God. And there's no shadow of turning, meaning he's not, he's not up and down. He's not multiple personalities, not bipolar. He's consistent in his love and his generosity towards you and me. And not only that, he wants to make you the same way, where you're consistent in your love and generosity, where you release the goodness of God into the people around you, where he wants to make you a rescuer. Some of you are caught in destructive, sinful patterns, and, and God wants to not just liberate you today, but he wants to m- transform you into one who's a liberator. He doesn't want you to just get out of being overcome by evil today. He wants to make you an overcomer today. This is exciting. This is, God's plan is for you not to just call you righteous or now you've got Jesus so you're good. He wants to make you a change agent, a societal transformation specialist, an ambassador of Jesus Christ, a minister of reconciliation. That's the plan. The plan is to weaponize you, mobilize you, empower you. Yeah, come on. Guys, today, today is the day of Pentecost. Happy Pentecost. Happy Pentecost, where the Spirit was poured out and they were mobilized and weaponized and equipped. Jesus said, stay in Jerusalem until you receive, until you're clothed with power from on high. Stay in Jerusalem until you're clothed. Come on. You know, Abraham must have been clothed with some kind of power to defeat several kingdoms with 318 dudes. Some kind of power. And on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out into all flesh, right? Joel says, all people, no matter your socioeconomic status, no matter your gender, everybody is now the new temple and tabernacle of God, where you are the very carrier of God's goodness and glory, tangible goodness and glory flowing through you. So that's why when you show up here on a Sunday morning and we worship and the Spirit of God is poured out and filling hearts and we're worshiping, it's because you're living into who he created and called you to be, and he wants you to be able to do that in the streets and on your job and in the neighborhood. I, I read the mission and values of this church. They're all over the place. I know you're already hearing this. The, I know this isn't new. I'm just telling it to you, again, because it's the stone-cold truth that you're called to be a glory carrier, a goodness, the goodness of God released to people. And the way that looks like, what that looks like, isn't just healing prayer and miracles, all those things too, but it's the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your mouth in your mouth that will rescue people from this evil age. 
It's the gospel. The gospel is the harvesting mechanism. It's the way the kingdom moves forward. You want to know how the kingdom moves forward? Yes, it's through signs and wonders and miracles, but it's through the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the power of God for the salvation of man. Just start saying it. Start sharing it. Ask God for creative ways to share it with people. Pentecost, guys. That's what it was about. We all like the tongues and the infilling of Pentecost, and I love that. I, I've been, I've grown up in charismatic Pentecostal church. I've been able to speak in tongues since eight years old, and I'm grateful for that. But there at Pentecost, this day, 2,000 years ago, and some odd number of years, maybe 17, 18 years, 3,000 people got saved at the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A simple message, 3,000. Maybe, just maybe, you've been filled with the Spirit and you can speak in tongues so that when you speak the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, people's focus is going to be snapped back from where they thought goodness was to the true source, which is Jesus Christ. It's just a course correction. Whoa! That's where the goodness is, Jesus Christ. God's made flesh, dying, sacrificing himself for us. It's powerful. Romans 12. I love Romans 12. There's a lot there, but Romans 12, verse 21. Check this out. Romans 12, 21. It's really simple. I don't know who you are or where you're coming from, but if you're dealing with evil today, even if it isn't in your own life, maybe you've got a family member who's caught in darkness, caught in destructive patterns, under demonic oppression. Maybe you, you know co-workers like this. This verse is your best friend. It says, do not be overcome by evil. <laughs> overcome evil with good. <laughs> it's almost too simple. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. Hmm. Do not be overcome by evil. Overcome evil with good. The goodness of God that's your source that he wants, he's pouring into you as you keep your focus on him and tr- respond to his goodness and rely on his goodness and release his goodness. It's that same goodness that's overcoming every evil thing in this world. Every kind of evil is just being overcome by the goodness of God. Whether that's a kind word, a loving look, the fruit of the Spirit, miracles, signs, wonders, it's the whole lifestyle of being a disciple of Christ, to be permeated with the goodness of God, makes you one that just is dispelling darkness and evil. That's why when Jesus shows up on the scene, you don't have to look for the demons. They're like, oh, Jesus, are you here to hurt us? You know, <laughs> they just like, oh, it's because it's the goodness of God in, in Christ. He's the bodily version of the goodness of God, made flesh, that just dispelled every, every evil thing. Acts 10.38 says it's Jesus of Nazareth was anointed with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. We like to get to the Holy Spirit, power, healing all who are oppressed by the devil, but the doing good part is right in there too. Just your simple acts of goodness to your family, to your friends, it heaps coals and just destroys powers of darkness. Super easy, super simple. You can do it. You can do it. So I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you need to respond to God's goodness in the first place. Maybe you're caught in a destructive pattern. You don't know Christ Jesus. Um, today's your day. Today's your day. And I, maybe, maybe you know Christ, but you've turned to other sources of goodness other than God. 
Um, thank you so much for coming up. Uh, maybe you're caught in darkness and, and you know Christ, but you turn back to a Sodom and Gomorrah type situation. It's not that you thought it was evil. You, you, you saw it was genuinely good things there and it blessed you for a time, but now you feel stuck. Now you're like, oh, this isn't what I thought it would be. This, this isn't fulfilling. This relationship isn't what I thought, it, what it promised to be. This, this job is not helping me. Um, this substance I'm using, I, I was high and, and now it's not working. Today's your day. And, and maybe you've been walking this thing out faithfully and you've been relying on God. Just believe that God wants to launch you into a whole new season of being able to release his goodness to the world around you. And the way he's going to do that in this hour, I believe, is he's going to show you afresh the power of the gospel. That the gospel message of Jesus Christ will do the heavy lifting of transforming hearts and minds around you. Gospel, it will do the lifting for itself. Christ's gospel doesn't need any extra help. <laughs> it's been saving people for 2,000 years. But it does need to come out of your mouth. It does. Right along with the tongues, right along with the worship, let the gospel come out of your mouth. Pray it, speak it, insert it into conversations cleverly. Do it. It's powerful. Don't mess people up. I'm going to pray, and I just want to say that I, I, when I pray, you're released to, to go. Um, I want to honor your time. But we're going to do some ministry, and uh, we're going to have a chance to respond. And if God's been pricking your heart today, I want to give you a chance to respond. You're, you know, you're, you're free to go. I'm actually going to just dismiss you now. You're free to go. And you don't have to. You can go whatever you need to do. Maybe you have errands to run. Feel free. That's great. But tonight, when I was praying about what the Lord, not tonight, this morning, I feel like the Lord wants to meet with people who were just caught in destructive patterns. The Lord said to me earlier this week that there's, Many of you here who have been reached with the gospel. This church is an a, a evangelistic church. You've been going out. You've been touching people, preaching the gospel to people. And there's many people here who heard the gospel and accepted it. You're here. You, you believe in Jesus. But um, your walk with God has been three steps forward and two steps back. It, you, you're here three months and you're gone six uh, you, you have an encounter with God's goodness, but then the other things that your heart desires lead you to f- try to find the answers to that and other sources other than God. And today's your day. I just want to say that today is your day. God is, is going to liberate you today, and he's going to encounter you in such a way that you're going to be free forever today. He's going to fix your eyes on his goodness today. The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of your breakthrough. Today is the day when God comes in and reveals all his goodness to you and lets it pass before you. Today is, it's not tomorrow. It's not yesterday. It's now. Now is the day. Now is the time that you can encounter God's goodness. Now. 
I don't know where you are. You're out there somewhere, but I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want to invite you to come up. If this is you, if you're three steps forward, two steps back, destructive patterns, and you said, I just need to get free. I need to know God. I, I, I need to, to not be in and out. I need to be sold out. I want to call, invite you to come up here as I pray. And as you do, you're making a statement that you're going to devote yourself to only turning to God as your source of goodness. Even as I'm speaking right now, the Holy Spirit is touching hearts all over this room and he's revealing not just where you need to be free, but he's revealing his goodness to you and telling you it's possible. You can be free. It's the goodness of God right now. He's touching your hearts right now. As I pray, feel free to be dismissed and feel free to respond. Father, I thank you that you've given us a great and glorious gospel that reveals your goodness to our hearts and to our minds and recalibrates us to know who you are and what your intention is. Right now, God, I ask that you would draw all people to yourself who need to respond, who need to be touched by you, Father, who need a fresh encounter with your goodness and to be liberated from dark and destructive things that are holding them back. Lord, for every soul that's tormented like lots this morning, that they're, they're, they've been saved, but they, they just feel tormented because they can't seem to get free. Lord, we just ask right now that you'd bring them to a fresh encounter with you. That you bring them to a fresh, fresh time of, of beautiful release and liberty. Lord, your word says that if we turn to you and repent, which just means change our mind and our focus back to you, you'll visit us with times of refreshing. You'll visit us with times of refreshing, times of rejuvenating our hearts and our minds. We just ask that you do that this morning. Just ask that you do that this morning. Thank you, Father. Just ask that you do that this morning. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for your presence, which is always revealing the goodness of God, always showing us the goodness and kindness of God. Thank you, God, that it's your kindness, not your condemnation, that leads us to repentance. That you're so kind. You're so kind to us right now, Father. I pray that you'd continue to pour that out. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to pray for the folks that came up. And if you're up here, just stay tapped into the Lord. But there's some of you out there who uh, need a healing. There's some of you out there that need a healing in your body. Um, I want to see the people who are supposed to be released and releasing the goodness of God released in this moment. So we're going to ask you, if you're ready to release the goodness, get ready to pray for some people. If you need a healing in your body, I want you to stand up. I want you to stand. If this is you, you need a healing. Okay, that's great. And just stay standing. You need a healing in your body. Thank you, Father. Now, if you're ready to release the goodness of God, come on, Frank. If you're ready to release the goodness of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to find one of these lovely men or women who are standing and begin to pray for them for healing. It doesn't have to be long, but just agree with them for their healing and begin to release the goodness of God. So all over, come on, guys. We need some mobilized releasers for these folks. Thank you, Father. Just begin to partner with them for two or three minutes and pray over them. Ask them what's going on, pray, and check. Check.